want to thank the music team who stood in for my family this morning. Uh, Grace was able to sing with us, but we've had five out of seven who've been down with COVID this week. And I know that's not a surprise because I'm, I'm guessing almost every family here has been touched by uh, illness recently. So let's pray for one another and encourage each other. Glad that each of us could be here today to be part of a worship. Worship was actually the original title that I had given to this message, and I decided to change that to why we gather, because that's really what this message is about. And we especially want to talk about this as we think about being all for Christ, because the way we gather and the reasons for which we gather uh, completely fit with all for Christ and these four statements that we have using the cross and this idea of a cross-shaped life or a disciple-shaped life. There's a downward component to being all for Christ. We surrender all for Christ. There's an upward component in which we live all for Christ's glory. And then there's these horizontal components of, of living all for Christ or of the Christian life in general. One in which we as a church live all together for Christ. And then as we reach all for Christ through evangelism. So why we gather? Uh, I'm not going to have a specific text today. Normally we, we would like to do that. This is going to be a bit of an overview, a biblical overview on why we gather as the church. So let me begin with a, a really personal question. I'll meddle here a little bit with you and ask you, why are you here? There's many reasons why you might be here, you might say to me, well, I've been going to church my whole life. When I wake up on Sunday morning, I put my church clothes on and I go because I've been doing that my whole life. Yeah, even after the time change. <laughs> By the way, is anyone... I forget. Glad you're here. You made it. I'm here today to keep my spouse from nagging me. Uh, should we take a show of hands? No, we won't do that. <clears throat> or with this one. My parents make me come. You can have a discussion with mom and dad later about that one. How about this one? I feel guilty if I don't. So the truth is, I don't really like going to church. I don't really want to go to church. But I find that if I don't go, I end up feeling badly. I feel kind of convicted. I feel kind of guilty. I don't like that feeling, so ah, I'll just go. Or we might say, I'm here because my friends are here. I go to church to see my friends. Church is a social outing. It's a public event. I get to see the people that I like. Or maybe, maybe you're here today thinking that this, coming to a church service, doing this religious duty of being here on a Sunday, is actually somehow earning you salvation. And just let me say quickly, in light of that one, that's not how it works. And you know that if you've been here and you've heard the gospel message. We're not saved by religious works. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. But why are you here? And I wonder even some of you who are here today, to be here or to not be here is optional. Week to week as you get up on Sunday morning, as you check your calendar, and you would say you're a follower of Jesus, but going to church, being at church, eh, not that big of a deal. This has become an issue for churches because of the pandemic, where uh, many Christians found themselves, all of us at times, found ourselves watching church, observing a kind of church service online. And many of us discovered that it's kind of nice. I can do church in my slippers and in my house coat. I don't have to leave the house. I don't have to shovel the driveway. I don't have to go out in the cold. I don't, 
Or I don't have to see all those people. I don't really like being around all those people anyway. I can just stay at home and watch church online. Now, let me be careful to say that I know some have had some significant health concerns that have made being out in public and being in a crowd of 400 people uh, somewhat dangerous for you. And so I want to be sensitive. Uh, As we navigated COVID, you know what we were having to do? We were having to navigate multiple biblical principles at the same time. We've got the principle that we're going to talk about today, about gathering together. And then we've got the principle of, uh, of honoring governing officials. We've got the principle about, of, of loving our neighbor and our brother and making sure we're not unnecessarily causing harm to someone else. All of these principles were at play. And as you navigate this, and I know we have some people who, who are still watching online, who haven't come back to the gathering. And perhaps this message may seem challenging for you. I just want to acknowledge that you, before God, have to navigate the various issues of your life. But I hope that one of them will be the issue that we're talking about this morning, the biblical reasons why we as Christians should, should gather together. Now, if you can believe it, I got 10 things, 10 things, 10 reasons why we gather and 30 minutes to tell you them. So three minutes apiece. We'll see how it goes. Why do we gather? Well, here's the first and most obvious reason. Because the word church, and when I say church, I'm talking about the way our English Bibles translate a Greek word, and we translate it church. It's a Greek word, ecclesia, or ecclesia. And that word that we translate church means gathering or assembly. So think about that for a moment. Someone comes to you and says, oh, do you belong to a church? Probably all of us in this room, and whether you're watching online, we would say, yes, I belong to a church, which means assembly or gathering. That's literally what the word means. In fact, there's one example in Acts chapter 19 when Paul is in Ephesus where the word ecclesia is used and it's not even a church service as we know it it was actually a riot in the city of Ephesus that Paul caused by his missionary work there a mob and all all of these uh, people ran into the theater in the city of Ephesus in an uproar against Christianity. It's interesting how the same word that we translate church was actually used for an anti-Christian riot. The point is, what does the word mean? The word means assembly, gathering. Why could a mob be called a church? It's because people left their daily jobs and their daily responsibilities, and they all came together in the theater at Ephesus, and that is exactly what happens If you're part of a church, you, by virtue of the definition of the word, have become part of an assembly, of a gathering. I used to always hear the word assembly in high school, right? Oh, no. Today's an assembly. And all the students, every grade, all the teachers, I think the janitor was even in the gym. Everyone's in the gym in one place. That's an assembly. So this is what it means. This is what the word church means. So it doesn't make sense at all to say that I belong to a church, but I never gather. Can you see that? It does not make sense. To belong to a church means that you gather and that you assemble because that's the very meaning of the word church. 
We see this lived out in example in the early days of the church, Acts chapter 2. All the believers, notice the emphasis here, were together and had everything in common. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And then in Acts 5, all the believers used to meet together. Notice all. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. This is what a church is. It's why we gather Second one is closely tied to that, and it's that we're commanded to gather together. Hebrews 10 tells us this, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's the clearest biblical command that would remind us and exhort us that gathering with other believers is essential. It is commanded. Now we could go into, and we will today, go into all the reasons why there's benefits to us and there's glory to God when we gather as believers. But let's just get this one out of the way. It's literally commanded in God's word. We gather because we want to obey Jesus Christ. Number three, why do we gather? We gather to identify with God's people. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I came up to you uh, on the street and I was uh, interviewing different people for the news and I asked you the question, what is the most significant thing about you? I don't know, I don't know if, if many of us as believers would even stop to think that the most significant thing about us and about our identity and about who we are is that we belong to Jesus Christ. That is the first thing, the top of the list that makes up our identity about who we are. We are followers of Jesus. We make up the church of Jesus Christ. We are part of the family of God. That is our identity. I fear for us in, in Western culture here as believers that it is so easy for us to slip in and out of our culture and into the church. And, and for many of us, the truth is, our deepest ties, our, our strongest identity isn't here with God and his people, it's in the things of the world. But actually, what should be happening on Sunday mornings is after a week of having scattered out into the world and sought to, by God's help, share the good news with people who need Jesus and rub shoulders with neighbors and coworkers, in some cases who maybe are difficult people, and we've lived out there in the disappointments and we've seen the brokenness and we've watched the news as we've scattered out into the world. And then what do we do on Sunday? We gather to regroup. This is like a huddle up in the midst of, of the Super Bowl. You know, there, there is a spiritual war and battle going on. We go out there and we live for Christ. We come back here to regroup, to gather with God's people, to identify with the people of God. This is, if you're a follower of Jesus, our primary identity. Hebrews 2, the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Romans 12, 5, so in Christ, though many, we though many form one body and each member belongs to. You see that? We belong to all the others. If, if we have the mindset that Sunday morning gathering with the church is optional, 
then you don't recognize the spiritual truth that's right here in front of you on the screen. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to Christ and you belong to his people. You have responsibilities to go and encourage someone on Sunday morning and you need actually to go and be encouraged by someone on a Sunday morning as we gather. We are family. Uh, one of the highlights, I'm sure for most of us, for some this sadly perhaps isn't true, but for many of us, the highlights of our year are, are those times in the calendar when we know the whole family's gonna get together or the extended family, right? All the crazy uncles and cousins and it's gonna be great. But especially with our immediate families and if you're from a bigger family, there are times when you get the whole family, your immediate family and, and the kids and the grandkids and you get everyone together and it's a big deal if someone calls and says, eh, I'm, uh, I'm not coming this time. It's a point of conversation, like what's wrong with so-and-so? Why wouldn't they come to our family gathering? We understand the importance of that when it comes to our earthly families. I fear we don't always understand it when it comes to the family of God. We gather to identify with God's people. These are our people. And we go out there and, and the world doesn't like us and doesn't like our message, but in here, we're together. One of the primary ways that this is demonstrated in the gathering of church is in communion. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, is not the bread that we break our participation in the body of Christ? Notice here, the word, uh, the, the bread is not signifying simply the broken body of Christ. It's also signifying the gathered body of Christ, the people of Christ. Paul goes on, he says, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. This reminds us that when we share communion together as a church family, symbolically we are saying we are one. We are one loaf, one body. It's even clearer in the next chapter as Paul rebukes the Corinthians for the way they were doing communion and he says to them, so then my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. In the Corinthian church, the people who were wealthy would bring the wine and the bread and the people who were slaves or unwealthy who couldn't bring anything, nobody shared with them. They didn't actually share communion, everyone together, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, what did Paul say? That's not communion. Everyone together. Number four, why do we gather? We gather to build up God's people. I think every one of us as we come to church on a Sunday morning should be praying, Lord, who is it that, that you want me to encourage today in conversation? And this one too, Lord, please send someone from my church family to encourage and motivate me today, to encourage me, build me up in my faith. We should literally come to the gathering with this idea in mind that as we mingle, as we talk, fellowship, and hopefully talk not just about the Leafs, amazingly they won last night, Wayne, but we talk about the things of the Lord, and we talk about the gospel, and we talk about how good God has been to us like we've been singing, and as we do that, we're looking for ways to encourage someone in their faith some younger believer or some new believer who's here again and we go to them and say, you know what, it does my heart good. I'm so glad you're here. 
Thank you for being so faithful to gather with God's people. Or someone who's teaching your children in Sunday school. I always like to find out, who's, so who's teaching you right now? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I've got to make sure I send an email, and I often forget. Who's teaching your kids in Sunday school? Who's, who's your kids' youth leaders? Find them, build them up, encourage them. That is why we gather. We saw that in Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And he goes on to say that, that we've got to gather in order to do that. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul uh, talking uh, about the differences between speaking in tongues or other languages versus prophesying, the word he uses in that chapter. And he says, when you come together, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And his message in that chapter is prophesy. In other words, speak God's word to one another. People will be built up. That's why we gather. Number five, we're moving right along here. Why do we gather? Number five, to represent God's kingdom on earth. Colossians chapter one, we saw this in our study on Tuesday night, our How to Study the Bible course, giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of of the son he loves. Do you realize that this gathering today is a gathering of the kingdom of God? This is a gathering from another country. Here on Canadian soil, there's something totally different going on in this room. It reminds me of uh, maybe the Olympic Games or maybe if you're into hockey, the, the World Junior Championships. And I can picture our Canadian boys because they always win gold, right? And they're over on foreign soil. They're, uh, they're in Finland and they just won the gold medal for the World Junior Championship. And the Canadian anthem fires up and all of these boys who cannot sing a lick begin to sing, try to sing the national anthem. There they are with their Canadian flags on their jerseys, arm in arm, singing O Canada on foreign soil. Do you realize that's what could happen here, should happen here every Sunday? We come as representatives, as citizens of another world, of another kingdom, but we, get, we have the freedom to do this right here on Canadian soil, representing another kingdom. Uh, folks, I would say that when we sing songs like we've been singing today, we should sing those songs like anthems of our true country, anthems of our true king. We should sing them like the boys over in Finland. These are our songs. These are our anthems that we get to sing about our kingdom, our God, and our king. See, those boys so often, those, those hockey players... I know they can't sing well, but they sing better because a lot of us can't find the gumption to sing at all because we don't realize what's actually happening when we are here in this place gathering together in the name of Christ. We are representing another kingdom, a victorious kingdom, a kingdom that is going to last forever, and we get to be part of it. Christian author Jonathan Lehman describes it this way. He says, we gather in order to represent heaven's rule and judgments and to establish a visible outpost of Christ's kingdom. Don't you love that? This gathering is like an, an outpost. 
And by the way, one of the reasons that we have an outpost is so that we can reach more, more people for Christ. Then he says, churches gather because as outposts or embassies, he says, of heaven, they must become visible and audible and touchable. So he would go on to describe, you can find his article actually on the Gospel Coalition website, it's very helpful, but he talks about how our churches are like an embassy. So if you go to Finland or any country other than Canada that has a Canadian embassy and you walk through those doors and, and essentially you are now on Canadian soil even though you're in that other country. And the church is like an embassy. It's a place that represents the presence and the rule of God. This is our nationality. This is our ethnicity in a sense. This is our citizenship. And we gather excitedly gather to represent God's kingdom on earth. Number six, not surprisingly then, we gather to worship our king because amazingly, he's not just the ruler of our kingdom, he's the savior who rescued us into this kingdom. He's not only the king who's worthy, who's king of kings and lord of lords, he's the one who died to save me, to rescue me out of the kingdom of darkness and bring me into this kingdom. So why wouldn't I possibly raise my voice and sing songs of praise and worship to my king? Colossians says it this way, he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. In other words, he's the beginning, the author of the church. It all started with him. He's the firstborn from among the dead. His resurrection was the first resurrection because all of us who are born again have also been resurrected. And this closing statement, so that everything he might have the supremacy. We want our gatherings to be a place where Jesus Christ is honored without shame. We say his name. We sing his name. We worship him. Peter said it this way, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, 1 Peter 2.9. We should never get tired of talking about, praying to, singing about, learning about Jesus Christ in the church gathering because we gather for this purpose, to worship him, to declare his name why we gather number seven we gather to celebrate the gospel now when I was a kid I used to hear people talk about how we we need to preach the gospel to Christians we need to preach the gospel in our churches and I used to think that was such a strange thing because to me the gospel was that thing that got us into the church got us into the family of God and then from there let's move on to other things and learn the rest of what the Bible teaches but I've come to understand the truth and the importance of this. Many have written in the last 20, 15, 20 years about how we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And so when we come into the church, and this is another reason why we do communion regularly, is we are celebrating the gospel again and again. We're raising a banner over all of us that's a declaration that the only reason we can be here is because of the good news of Jesus Christ because of who he is and what he's done for us. We will never stop talking about that. And have you ever noticed how helpful it is for us who are Christians? And maybe you've been a Christian for decades. 
But when you hear the gospel again, and you hear someone talk about Jesus and his sacrifice and all that we've gained through him, what does it do to your heart? There's reassurance there. There's a solidifying of our resolve and our commitment to follow him. It lifts our hearts out of self-centeredness into worship. And so we celebrate the gospel again and again. We want to be a gospel-centered church. We want to have gospel-centered worship services. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then later to the Galatians, he would say, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate the gospel. You know, so many of the songs that we sing like we've done today are just retelling again and again and again the gospel story. Have you ever noticed that? So many of the good songs that we want to sing are just retelling the story. Why? Because as human beings, the more we hear it, the more it transforms us. Why we gather? We're already on number eight. Can you believe it? Number eight. We gather to hear from God and specifically in the preaching of God's word. First Timothy 4, here's Timothy writing to his young pastoral apprentice and he says to him, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Now what does this mean? And is preaching really any different than teaching? Is preaching any different than a TED talk except that it's kind of about some spiritual matter or something about the Bible? And I would argue, yeah, preaching is very different. From the beginning of time, the message of God has gone out. You know where it started? The very first preacher was God himself. I mean, he just flat out talked to Adam and Eve. Don't you wish you were there? He just told them what his commands were. He just, told, he just warned them about not eating of the tree of knowledge. He was the first preacher who publicly to human beings declared his word to them. And then sadly, they listened instead of to the, the greatest preacher of all, they listened to the, to the snake, to the devil. And they disobeyed God. And so from there, sin began to wreak its wreckage upon humanity and the earth. And over the course of time, as time would go on, God began to send others who would begin to preach for him. In fact, early on, we have the story of Noah. And the New Testament says that Noah wasn't just an ark builder. Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So we don't read much about that part of Noah's ministry when he was building the ark, but evidently, he was declaring God's word, and no doubt people came by to see, like, that's a pretty big thing you're building there, Noah. What, what, what's going on? And it would seem from the New Testament that he was making that, taking that opportunity to declare the warning that God had given him to others. You go through the history of the Old Testament. Think of Moses, who initially at the burning bush said, God, I can't speak, I can't speak. All right, well, we'll send your brother. But it doesn't take long before Moses catches the vision of what it meant for him to stand before God's people and declare his God's, not his own, God's word to them. And Moses was used as a great preacher. There's a similarity, by the way, in the, in the Bible between the word prophet and the word preacher. The basic meaning of prophet is not someone who tells the future, it's just someone who tells God's word. It just tells you what God is saying. So think of the Old Testament prophets who would say, thus says the Lord, 
They would proclaim something. Think of Jonah going to the city of Nineveh eventually and proclaiming God's warning over that city. All through the generations of the redemptive history of humanity and God's work among us, he has had someone who would declare and proclaim his word. The same happens in the New Testament. Now normally, as I said earlier, how do we do this well? What should we be looking for when it comes to appropriate preaching in our churches? And the answer to that is God's word. What I'm doing today, I I don't like to do this very often. I think there's occasions where a biblical overview can be really helpful, but normally what we want to do is open a text, a passage of God's word, and I just want to get out of the way. The preacher needs to get out of the way, explain God's word. Don't need a lot of nifty, interesting stories to kind of prop up, because the Bible's boring, right? So let's prop it up with some some fun stories here, tell some jokes. God's word doesn't need that. The preaching of God's word is as the uh, uh, seminary teachers would say is, is exposition, meaning we expose to the listener what God's word says. So when we gather on Sundays and we preach, and someone preaches God's word, by the way, if you ever hear sermons here and you realize that wasn't God's word, Oh, we read a verse, and then it was like a springboard, and we went and talked about someone, someone's soapbox. That wasn't, God, that wasn't preaching the word. And if that ever happens for me, you need to go to the elders and say, that wasn't biblical preaching. When we gather on Sundays and someone preaches the word of God, we are hearing from God. This is not just a talk. It's not just a, it's not just a lecture. It's not just merely teaching information This is the voice of God coming through a preacher who hopefully by God's grace has been humbled and changed already by God's word. Notice back to 1 Corinthians 14 where remember Paul was talking about prophesy, prophesy God's word. That of course was at a time before they had the scriptures and so prophesying was even more crucial then because they didn't have a New Testament. Now we have the New Testament but we still are called to prophesy or speak out God's word. Paul writes, if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. This is my desire for Wallenstein Bible Chapel every Sunday, is that everyone who darkens the doors of this building of this auditorium will leave again saying I heard from God God was present and that's our segue to number nine why do we gather we gather to meet with God imagine someone calls you on a Saturday evening and says hey did you know there's a leaf game in Toronto tomorrow I happen to have tickets and uh, these are actually special tickets because you get to go into the dressing room before you get to meet all the players, sign autograph, you know, whatever. Uh, but something's come up, I can't go. So just wondered if you want the tickets. It's Sunday, you can go. And of course, we're thinking, yeah. I mean, I know even Pastor Wayne would take those tickets, right? This is the Toronto Maple Leafs. I get to meet Austin Matthews. Do we recognize? That when the church gathers, we're not looking to meet with some famous people. We're not, we're not hoping some person walks through the doors that we're kind of hoping to see. There's one 
person present that matters above all else, that in the gathering of God's people, we meet with God. Brothers and sisters, how can it possibly be optional for us to get up on a Sunday morning and decide, hmm, do I want to meet with God? See, the only way, there's only two possibilities for us to get up in the morning on a Sunday morning and shrug our shoulders and say, I don't think I, don't think I want to meet with God. Well, either number one, you didn't realize that that's what Sunday mornings are. You didn't realize, and maybe for the first time, you're going to hear, and I'm going to show you some verses, that when we gather as the church, God is in the midst in a very special way. You never knew that before. You just thought it was kind of a religious gathering. You just thought it was like a you know, social thing, or we go and hear a message, sing some songs. Like You didn't realize how important this moment was. I hope you realize now. The second possibility is, are, are you really a child of God? To get up on a Sunday morning and say, meet with God, ah, I got better things to do. Is it really true of you that you belong to Jesus Christ if gathering with his people and meeting with him is optional for you? Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. This, this verse comes just a few verses after Jesus used the word ecclesia. One of the few times we find it in the Gospels, he's talking about how he's going to build his church. He's talking about uh, even church, things like church discipline. But then he gives us this wonderful promise where two or three gather in my name. That means that our gatherings have to be that. We're not gathering in the name of a church. We're not gathering in the name of a preacher. We're gathering simply to represent Christ. And when we gather for that reason, in that context, Jesus says, I'll be there. How could we possibly want to miss that? 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know? Notice the tenses here. Don't you know that you yourselves, plural, are God's temple, singular, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Do you see it? It's not just that we as individuals are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That actually is true. To be a believer is to be sealed with the Holy Spirit, never to be unsealed. To be saved is to be always saved. As individuals, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us permanently. But in this verse, Paul is teaching that we as a body are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That in the gathering of the saints, the Holy Spirit is in the midst in a special and unique way. Why would we possibly want to miss that? And finally, we have one more. Why do we gather? We gather to foreshadow eternity. So what do we do in eternity? In eternity, we will dwell in the presence of God as one redeemed people, celebrating his redemption and worshiping him. Do you see that definition? This is eternity. We will dwell in the presence of God as one redeemed people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And as we dwell before him as one, and we see descriptions of this in the book of Revelation, we're going to sing a song from one of those descriptions in a moment. We are celebrating his redemption and worshiping him. Did you ever think that you can use the same definition 
should be able to use the same definition for a church gathering. So instead of it saying eternity, we could say, at my church, we dwell in the presence of God as one redeemed people celebrating his redemption and worshiping him. You see, it's the very same thing. And what we do here on a Sunday morning is foreshadowing what we will do forever in eternity, and we get to do it now. It is our privilege to do it now and to have a little taste. And you know what? The more we get the opportunity to... Guys, I grew up in Marathon, Ontario, ladies and gentlemen. When I started grade 12, I was the only Christian in my school that I knew of, ended up finding some, and there were some new ones that year. I still can't get over being in a church with 450 people all singing one song. It's amazing. Have you ever been in a, in a large conference? I went to the T4G conference uh, three or four years ago down in Louisville, Kentucky. 12,000 Christians in a basketball arena singing holy, holy, holy. And I just felt like I was in heaven. And we can do that here. But you know what? It, it loses its effect if we come in not recognizing that God is present, not, not lifting our voices in wonder at all that he's done with us, sitting on our hands and mumbling out the words of a few songs. There's no, you don't get the effect. But when we come together as one and celebrate, yeah, you can even lift your hands, right, Matt? You can lift your hands. I'm not good at that. My, I had a friend that said, I have Baptist hands, like they're stuck down here. <laughs> so I find myself, I sway now. I guess that's the best, I, I sway a little bit. I know some, I see some of you swaying. You're allowed to lift your hands. If it was the Leafs game, we would lift our hands. We'd shout, we'd, we, we might even sing loud. We are the champ, no, uh, will we ever sing that? I don't know. Sunday mornings are an opportunity to foreshadow eternity. So we're going to try that right now. We're going to sing a couple of songs in closing. I think you're coming up to close in prayer. Is that right, Matt? So why don't you join us as we conclude our service by doing this very thing. Let's stand and foreshadow eternity by worshiping the Lord. so much for your goodness and your graciousness towards us as we stumble along in our faith towards you. God, we just thank you that we have the awesome privilege of gathering as your people to worship you. God, the reminder this morning of just how great you are, how awesome you are, what a privilege it is that we get to come together and just stand before you and say, you are great, you are awesome, Lord. Thank you for the worship that we have this morning, Lord, the opportunity to be with you. Lord, I pray for our day as this gathering continues into the lobby and into the gym. God, that you would continue to use us as your people to encourage one another, to spur one another on in our faith. God, help us to do wonderful, amazing things for your glory and for your honor. Bless us as we go now in Jesus' precious name. Amen dismissed. Don't forget to encourage one another. Don't forget to eat snack in the gym. 
don't forget that there's a ministry fair happening. Fill out the paperwork, check a, check a box, give it to someone at a table in the gym. Bless you guys.